Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wellness Wednesday Inspiration. My name is Fernanda. I'm here with Dr. Linda Marquez. Dr. Linda, how are you doing today? Hello, I am doing amazing. How are you? I'm doing great and super, super, super excited about today's topic. Maybe a little bit controversial for many people who are listening, particularly because it's not what we normally hear about when we think or what we think about when we think about healthcare. So we want to ideally bring you a different perspective, maybe a different ideas and perhaps different uh, knowledge that is not common knowledge for you to be able to take and make better and informed decisions about your health and when it comes to uh, kind of navigating healthcare in general. So if you have any questions about anything that we're talking about, if you have any comments or anything like that, please feel free to put that in the chat. We'll, we will bring it to our amazing guest's um, attention so he can address those comments or those questions from you. And Dr. Linda, why don't you tell us who we have on today? I'm excited. Well, I was talking with Dr. Yoho, so kind of just spilling the beans there, but uh, I had a chance to review some of the feedback and emails because we sent an email blast out and it was pretty positive. People were excited about finally you're going to have someone that just is going to tell the truth. And maybe I had one negative email and I'm not even going to tell you. <laughs> it's just like you don't have to listen. You don't have to listen. You can't. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. However, um, anyways, I I'm excited to have um, Doctor Yoho, and he is. You know, he he can tell you how old he is, but he looks amazing. His he's in his sixth decade of life, and he was um, he retired as a as a physician. He was um, he's got he's double board certified in cosmetic surgery. He is also um, as an internist as well. So he is pretty, um, I would say he's a smart guy and just bold with what he wrote about in his book. And um, I'm excited because he did something I think that's amazing that maybe a lot of doctors wouldn't. They will surrender their medical license. So they no longer have ties to anyone and anything that will possibly, you know, pull their license from them. So um, there's just so much resistance with a lot of doctors and even nurse practitioners, as you know, that because they'll get fired for really speaking their truth. And they know that something's just not right with the system, but they don't know how to share it because that's their livelihood. And I totally respect that. However, he's gonna um, he's gonna share with us and kind of blow your mind. I think as we're, as I was reading his book, it's just fascinating. But I would rather let you, I let the audience hear, you know, who this amazing man is, this amazing human being and doctor, and you know how I think he's probably gonna have even a greater impact on more than just the patients that he saw in the past, but more people now that he's out of practice. So I agree. Let's on the doctor. All right. Dr. Yoho, welcome to Wellness Wednesday Inspiration. Thank you, Fernanda. And nice to meet you, Linda, also. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Yoho, uh, I want to start actually with asking you a little bit about how you got to the point where you are today, you being a cosmetic surgeon and having worked in healthcare for so many years. And we know that a lot of people in the medical field have a specific mentality about healthcare. And then once you start getting kind of 
raising your awareness and seeing everything else that ha kind of happens that shouldn't be happening. Um, like that, Carolina was mentioning, we're not necessarily too open to wanting to talk about it because it's our livelihood. It's our training. It's what our colleagues and peers and everybody's doing. So what, what got you to where you are today and what led you to write that book and kind of be more outspoken about uh, corruption in healthcare? So uh, first of all, can you hear me? We can. Okay, good. Um, you know, I practice medicine for, de for decades and I've got advanced training and degrees, but you don't have to doctor me anymore. I did resign my medical license. Just call me Robert. That's perfect. And the disclaimer, of course, is this is not specific medical advice. If you need health care, you've got to find a physician or another provider to help you out. Um, so how did I come to this place? Well, the first thing I want to tell you is that people like me who are retired, we have much less to lose. And the people who have been whistleblowers on healthcare have generally been retired. And the journal editors who have done this, I, I think are courageous, but they they did not give up their fabulous jobs where they were making 700 or 800,000 a year, whatever it was. Um, they waited until after they quit. Um, there, is, there are well-known British medical journal editors and New England journal editors of medicine editors who are have been essentially whistleblowers on on how bad it all is. So what, what, how did I come to this? I did several careers and I spent the last 30 years as a cosmetic surgeon doing breast augmentation and uh, um, liposuction and facelifts and so on. And towards the end of that career, I had two fatalities in my office over about a six month period. Now, as you may be aware, cosmetic surgeons or plastic surgeons generally have a, uh, a fatality or two during their career. And I hadn't had any. And uh, one of the fatalities was another, uh, another doctor was operating on him. So I can't really be blamed for that. But it was shocking. And I sort of reevaluated my life and decided I wanted to contribute something else. And it was about time to retire anyway. Most physicians retire on average about 65. So I'm 67 now, and it was two years ago. And the fatalities were five or seven years ago, something like that. Um, so I reevaluated and I started reading about general health care. And the more I got into it, um, I thought I'd sort of see a can of worms. Well, what I found was a dumpster full of worms. I mean, it was just amazing. Um, the, the basic numbers about healthcare are stunning. We spend twice what the other countries spend, the other first world countries per person. So in other words, we spend almost 20% of our gross domestic product. They spend 10 and we get a, we get a bad product. 50% of what we do either doesn't work or it's actually harmful. And um, anybody that's uh, experienced modern healthcare uh, has some idea about this. And this is not an academic, it's not academically in question. It's, it's pretty much academically accepted. There's a lot of papers published about that, those figures. So healthcare, as Warren Buffett put it, has become the tapeworm of the American economy. Mm -hmm. and without, without some modification of which we're not going to do very well, we're just going to go down and we're, we're very productive, obviously, but we've got so many tapeworms already that we can't afford it. And these Healthcare entities have perpetrated this. We've showered money out of the sky through third-party payment systems on healthcare as a whole and to build it up to this. And with that money, they are buying us off because their lobbying power in the U.S. Congress is more than the sum, get this, more than the sum of banking plus oil and natural gas plus the military. 
I mean, it's insane. And so it's impossible to resist with the system the way it is uh, set up. And a change is probably going to require some sort of big cataclysm or disaster. I, I don't know how we're going we're to change it without that. I In my book, I have ideas about how you can personally deal with it. Um, but as far as uh, global change uh, in, in our healthcare system, I, I know what would work. I've got ideas about that. It's interesting, but it's it's not something that's going to happen without uh, a, a disaster. So I'm, you know, I'm two years into this writing, two and a half or three years into this writing career. I started before I left medicine and I spend 50 hours a week plus uh, writing and trying to promote these things. And because there's 4,500 books published a day on Amazon, can you imagine? It's very hard to get any notice at all. And then I discovered the podcast. And so I get to talk to people like you, which is a lot of fun for me too. I mean, I, I meet some fascinating individuals. So that's my small origin story. Wow. wow. That's awesome. And I think with podcasts nowadays too, it's like we can freely speak what we want to speak. And some people are in agree and, and some are in a disagree, but I, I always kind of share with people, it's okay to disagree. It's, let's disagree. Let's agree that we disagree and everyone is entitled to their opinion. So I know I'm, I'm glad that you're opening up with everything Linda, that's going in on. In theory, we've got freedom of the press, but Amazon is denying my, um, ads because it, in theory, I'm promoting idea, uh, healthcare ideas that are not, quote, accepted, right? Okay. I've only got 500 references in that book. Nothing I say is original. It's all completely derivative. It's all information that's falling that should be in every doctor's hands and every patient's hands. But uh, it isn't because we're facing a wall of propaganda from the big industry. Yeah, absolutely. Now, why do you think that a lot of people are not, a lot of patients are not getting adequate care? I mean, where, where are you finding like the one to, you know, where is all this starting? Well, <laughs> a loaded question. <laughs> no, no, it's a good question. It's, it's the, essentially what is the root of the whole problem? And uh, the root of the problem is we, we threw money out of the sky on this industry through these third party payers and, inner left, you know, inner stage left, we have the entrepreneurs, right? And if you want to say something perhaps a little more accurate, we have the crooks, right? Who are willing to do anything for a buck. And it's not, a lot of them care little for patient um, uh, welfare. Now, providers like you and I, Linda, we're trained to put the patient first. And, but overcoming the obstacle of a financial conflict of interest is almost impossible. And you can read about this in influence theory. It's a whole body of psychological science and it's encapsulated by a popular book by Caldini named influence. It's, it's, yeah. you probably are run across that, yeah. but it's impossible to get around mon monetary influences because, um, when money changes hands, the well is poisoned, right? Inevitably. An example of this is oncology or cancer therapy. In on oncology is one of the most egregious um, arrangements in medicine because they take 20% of the chemotherapy drugs price that they administer. So they're incentivized to administer the most expensive thing. Now, it gets worse. They're incentivized by the milligram. In other words, these drug reps call these guys up and say, you know, you're only at uh, 4,000 milligrams this month. Can you come up with another 500? And then you'll make your bonus, you see. So 
I mean, it's an un unbelievable thing because well over half, perhaps two thirds of their income nationwide is in these um, uh, payoffs, which would be illegal if we three were doctors and I offered you a drug and told you to take 20% of the price as your cut and sell it for me. That's called capping. It's an illegal act. We could all go to jail, right? Mm -hmm. So they're they're doing something through a loophole, which allows the corporates to, in my opinion, bribe the doctors off. And so, so these oncologists um, who incidentally have 95% of what they do is almost ineffective. They, they have about a two month survival advantage for their average chemotherapy. There are about five things they cure, right? We got lymphomas and leukemias and testicular cancer and a few other things that are, are helped by the, the chemo and all the crazy stuff they do. But most of it doesn't work. And you can check, I've got the references in my book, uh, Butchered by Healthcare, Vin, Vinye Prasad, P-R-A-S-A-D, is the uh, academic, academic uh, physician who uh, goes into this and has published a lot about it. Um, but uh, it's, it's, an, it's an outrageous, uh, outrageous situation. Mm -hmm. So Big Pharma is approaching medical professionals and basically let, asking them, if you prescribe X amount of my medication or my drug, I'm going to pay you this amount of money. So there is an incentive of prescribing different things versus prescribing something else or not prescribing at all. Because if you don't prescribe, then you're not making money as a, as a medical provider. And it's an incentive of prescribing certain things, despite knowing that it may not be beneficial. Correct? If for oncology, a standard practice to give them a percent. Now, for other things, there are all kinds of other games they play. They give, um, you know, research grants for things that aren't actually research. They, I mean, <laughs> pharma, you have to understand this, um, and it's very easy to confirm this. You can go on Wikipedia and look up pharma settlements, right? Pharma, by measure of their criminal settlements with U.S. federal prosecutors, is the most criminal industry in history. Now, just think about that for a minute. Billions of dollars a year in criminal settlements. So they're paying off the federal prosecutors when the prosecutors arguably should have dismantled a few of these corporations, stripped them of everything, fired their, you know, put their leaders in jail. And I mean, criminal prosecutions, settlements in the billions every year. And every single one of those organizations in the top 10 is on that list on Wikipedia. You can have a look at it as soon as we get off. It's unbelievable. So so these people, they ruin their own studies. In other words, they're 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 supposed to have um, scientific studies about their drugs in order to get approval. Well, since they own the, the they pay the researchers and they all frequently pay contract research groups in other countries, and they own the drugs, they're even entitled to hide the studies that don't say the drug works. It's a completely outrageous situation because it's our money. It's our federal, our taxpayer, and our uh, insurance money that they're feeding back to us to both pay the legislatures to um, keep them in power and do these studies to prove to the FDA that uh, the, the drugs work. Now, the FDA is another, another uh, story of influence. The FDA, two-thirds of its budget, roughly, is paid directly by the pharma companies in in these things called user fees and when 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 you're feeding a dog the dog is not going to bite your hand so the fda is uh 
they're they're they've arguably become a creature of pharma in my opinion uh because and this is certainly not my opinion alone um there there are references in my book it it shows it, it, when this happened in the early 2000s a lot of people thought it was outrageous and so this has come home to roost in actions like approval of this vaccine quote vaccine it's not really a vaccine because it doesn't confer immunity that happened yesterday i mean it's just it's it's an outrage and it, the F influence on the fda is is so pervasive and so overwhelming that you you just can't trust anything that happens you can't trust the studies the, the doctors are left to sniff around and try to figure out what works and what doesn't work we we were all trained in medical school to read these uh scientific mm -hmm. journals as if they meant something but now particularly the last 20 years the studies sponsored by pharma have been adulterated to the point where they're completely unreliable. It's a garbage in, garbage out situation. And what's worse now, or perhaps worse, is these major um, three-letter organizations, you know, the World Health Organizations and the, um, and the, uh, the, the, what is the other one? Both of those things are, they, they now have been discovered to be completely in pharma's pockets also over the last two years. And so we don't, we, we don't know where to turn except for experienced physicians and healthcare providers. Um, you know what they say based on their, their long experience. And that probably means more than the studies now. So it's, it's such a challenge because you know, I, I go to PubMed a lot and I'm researching and, you know, I have a lot of patients that come to me for the functional medicine aspect, and we try to do everything natural, drugless. And of course, there's at times where, like working with thyroid patients, that they're going to require hormones because they've had a thyroidectomy. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have to refer you out for that. These are some other references of studies of, you know, how they should go about because T4 is not everything. And, you know, we go in circles. However, a lot of the newer research nowadays, it, it's it's funded, I say, it, it's so hard to get the truth because you can choose a topic and you can find something positive, something negative about it, pro and, you know, and, and against it. So it's really difficult, as you were mentioning. And I read somewhere in your book about you can go to a different source. It kind of does a meta-analysis uh, meta of these um of studies and if you can kind of explain a little bit about that sure. for so, those that you know want to dig into it a little bit deeper so cochrane reviews was is a, a european organization that uh has thousands of uh physicians and they supposedly were not are not um influenced by commercial interests so they <laughs> They, for they, they. Uh, if you want to learn about the flu vaccine, right, which everybody thinks is good, but actually is hardly efficacious at all, go to Cochrane reviews, and you'll see that it, if it works, it's a very subtle thing. It certainly isn't worth the tens of billions of dollars we've spent on flu vaccine. But recently, in the last two years, Cochrane reviews has thought to be invaded by industry, and the money, the amount of money these guys have to pour into studies or financial support of doctors or anything else is so overwhelming that even Cochrane, which specializes in these meta-analyses, which means that ta they take all the studies and they look at which ones seem to be done right and they put them all together. Even Cochrane has been called into question because of recent actions. And I describe some of that in my book. Um, but uh, the PubMed in the last 20 years, I mean, one of my very academic friends said 
the last 20 years has seen a decline in the quality that just has been abysmal. And I mean, you've got to look at it because we don't have much else. Uh, but uh, it, it's just it's almost impossible to sort out the link farms. You know, you know what a link farm is, is when they put up a website that says uh, bestpsychiatriccare.com or or something like that, or cholesterol medicine, uh, 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 top cholesterol. And then they farm out all these different articles and link to them. And they're essentially ads. They, many of them will look like medical journals. They, there are even whole medical journals created from whole cloth by these pharma companies now. And the, the real medical journals are pretty much bought and sold, uh, into pharma, uh, stewardship, right? In other words, the the editors of those medical journals get paid directly, several hundred thousand dollars a year each, and the articles are written almost entirely by pharma ghostwriters and other industry ghostwriters, so they spin it any way they want. The studies that are in the journals, which you try to rely on, have their statistics ruined by the pharma-employed statisticians. And you can read about this. The best single reference that I found, well, there's Pharmageddon by Healy, and there's uh, Bad Pharma by um, uh, Goldacre, uh, both of which are, who are Brit British. Um, so they, they kind of describe, and I mean, pharma, uh, Bad Pharma is over 10 years old. I mean, this has been pretty well known. And it's about since 2000, they almost dropped any pretense of doing real science, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the acute observers. And in the last two two years, they they seem to have dropped any pretense of anything but control. I mean, it's the darndest thing I've ever seen. I, I was very skeptical of the last two years because I'd been studying medical corruption. So I kind of got the the threads of what was going on early, and I just shook my head because I, I knew these guys were not to be trusted. Mm -hmm. So as a patient and for everybody who's listening to this podcast right now who may be feeling super overwhelmed thinking, and I'm even thinking, okay, as a patient, when you go and, and get care, you have quote unquote, the, the organizations that are supposed to protect you. You know, you have the FDA, it's FDA approved and people get such reassurance because it's FDA approved. And then you're like, well, there is the studies and then there is the drugs and all these things. Now, if you are listening clearly to what Robert is saying here is that there is really all of this is corruption and it, it's all about money. It's not about the patient's interest, but it's all about who gets to keep the big money in their pockets, which is big pharma controlling everything else. So as a patient seeking care in any form of healthcare, what can they do? What kind of tools do they have? It's rough. Um, Fernando, the way I characterize it is I, I say that in order to get the best possible healthcare, you almost need physician level expertise. Is that crazy? In other words, you need an RN in your family, in your corner who can help uh, figure it out. Now, a lot of people don't need healthcare. They think they do. They're, they're getting screening exams or they're getting physical exams or some crazy thing that they're, that, that probably doesn't do any good. But if you have a complicated problem, if you're older, if you have cancer, if you, you know, if you have heart disease, you better figure out what's going on. And I, I think uh, butchered by healthcare is an easy introduction to this whole thing. Okay. So it's got a lot of references. If you get the eBooks only four bucks and I'm not making a dime on it. I've committed to giving everything that I, any net profits I get uh, to charity. And it's, it's, I'm obscure. It's hard to, it's hard to, um, 
I, you know, so, so you need to study, you have to, you have to look at everything. And the great thing about today is you can get a virtual consultation with integrity remains in medicine. And I don't want to paint the picture that we don't do miracles. Half of what we do is wonderful. And doctors are trying as hard as they can, despite their hobbles. And one of the hobbles that happened, I mean, this is an, another unbelievable story that no one's going to give me credit on this one, but doctors spend at least 25 and probably closer to 50% of their time doing medical records since uh, Obamacare put in that medical records requirement. It's a, it's fantastic. It's an unbelievable thing. And it sounds, it all sounds very sensible. I mean, computer age and all that, but it, it just hasn't worked out so far because the, the programs are so lethally complicated and not designed for the provider to enter the information. So even people that can type fast are wasting uh, many hours in the evening and oh, taking away from their family time. So a patient has to do their research and Wikipedia might be the best remaining source. Now I know that sounds heretical, but um, <laughs> and you have to understand that pharma has armies of ghostwriters trying to modify Wikipedia to make it look more like whatever their, their song is or their narrative is of the day. Um, but um, it's, it's probably as good as any medical journal. So that's, that's a reasonable place to start, but don't, don't believe what you see in a random internet search because you're going to, you're going to encounter, I mean, medical industry has taken over the freaking internet. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And when you Google anything, you get, you get garbage, which is essentially commercials for some treatment that's toxic, phenomenally expensive and might or might not work, you know? So you're, you're going to have to do your research. And if you can go to your doctors and go to another doctor. And if you don't like that doctor or you don't feel better, go to the next doctor because you want to find someone that says yes. Now, you, you you don't want total fraudulent medicine. You have to be a judge of all that and read about it yourself and try to figure it out. And you don't want to be disrespectful towards anyone. These guys and the women, they're trying hard, most of them, but they're hobbled with so many conflicts and so many financial disabilities that it's it's very difficult for them to uh, to do the right thing in many cases. And you give a huge list in your in your PDF document here of references, books, and and just references. It's it's amazing. I love it. I think that's a, a great place for a lot of people to start as well. And as you were saying, uh, I have friends that have um, their kids are going through medical school, and unfortunately, even medical schools are. You know, big pharma is in yeah, they're paying school. for they're paying for the medical schools. Yeah, I mean, they're a large part of the medical school budgets are now pharma uh, supplied, so it, it's impossible for the schools to go against the the. They can't bite the hand that's feeding them. Yeah, that that that's a that's a tough thing. And before um, you know, before coming on here, we were talking a little bit about you know the importance of you know exercise, diet stress management. We kind of, we, we go, we stress that so much, right, Fernanda? Mind yes. training and the importance of, you know, even um, how powerful our mind, there's a, a doctor who wrote, um, you are the placebo. That's fascinating because how, you know, everything with epigenetics and how our thoughts impact how our genes are expressed is really powerful. And so much fear that's being pumped into us by constant negative news on a daily basis that we can literally make ourselves sick. 
just by listening to what's out there. And a lot of it is just, it's, it's whoever controls the narrative is really who's controlling your destiny to some degree. So be mindful of that. You guys are doing some of the most important work, I think, that there is in, in a human life, and that is trying to get people to assume agency or responsibility for their own lives. And uh, there are many paths to that. I mean, some people have religious uh, beliefs, some people uh, have philosophical beliefs, but I like your approach, and I think it's very important work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the the reason that we started doing it it's also to have people be more accountable right because many times when you go to a doctor's office and even if the doctor has the best intentions in mind um we are trained as medical professionals we're trained to give a diagnosis give a treatment and off you go and then i'll see you back in three months and then for example in the case of diabetes hypertension oh i can treat it i can treat it well it's not about just treating it's about empowering people so they can uh, tackle the problem from the root and actually get to a solution that it's going to be beneficial not only in a short term, not only in three months, but for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. What got you diabetes? What got you hypertension? Why? What kind of stresses do you have at home? And really, uh, very few, if any, medical professionals out there are focusing on the root of the problem. Rather, they're focusing more on the, the diagnosing and treating and overprescribing. And overprescribing is a huge thing. And once again, it goes down with the big pharma situation. The more you prescribe, the more money you'll be making as a provider. It's crazy. Um, there, We have nursing homes that all the patients have 20 medications each. Mm -hmm. And those are just, I mean, you knew about that. I didn't know about it until I read about it because I hadn't been in a nursing home in decades. Uh, but I mean, they're just essentially medication farms. Some of the, they're, the, they're demented. They're, they're held in place by these uh, horrible sedatives. And I mean, it's, it's just a, a, a remarkable scene. We, we could chat a little bit about another specialty field that I think is particularly corrupt if you want, or if you have other areas that you want to go into, let me know. I wanted you to comment on, on psychiatry. Yeah, drug. that was what I was going to talk about. <laughs> I'm not making any psychiatry friends, but they know the story. They, they, if anything, they know the story better than other fields. Okay. So, um, psychiatry, I, there are a large group of people in the world who believe that the psychiatrists basically shouldn't be operating. In other words, they're psychiatry deniers. That's what sometimes they're called by the, their detractors. Um, and this includes a lot of people who aren't Scientologists. The so Scientologists somehow figured this out decades ago before even the drugs. But the big problem now is these guys are prescribing at the direction of industry, right? They've got these this manual called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual or whatever it is, the big yellow book, that essentially was almost ghostwritten by the industry in order to stimulate prescribing. And in industry has treated them with a, uh, a grab bag of medications that have never been proven to work. Now, that's a big statement, but let me explain. There are very few adequate placebo-controlled trials in psychiatry. And the... So the sugar pill trials just haven't been done because they have 17% of all of the U.S. on psychiatric drugs already, and 12% of us took antidepressants last year. It's an unbelievable scene. And these, these drugs are exceedingly toxic, and they are exceedingly addictive. They don't have withdrawal symptoms like opioids, but they, they are very difficult to get off of. And the problem is, is when you go off of them, the original syndrome is mimicked. So if you were depressed 
to begin with and you you're you're numbed up by the drug when you go off the drug or taper the drug you feel very depressed and everybody thinks this is proof that they're efficacious well it's not and they they they're they the studies have all ba been based on physician judgment and surveys and it was super soft psychiatrists only treat uh, diseases which are called functional which means that there's no proof that any of it exists except for an opinion i mean it's just a crazy crazy thing and they don't treat if they have if they think they have identified with somebody with thyroid disease as linda mentioned they have to refer them out and then the specialist treats that and they bump them back if they still have uh psychological problems or psychiatric problems so they have gotten into this drug treatment of everything and their ambition has seemed to be to put everybody in the country on uh, drugs and fostered by big pharma there's opinions in wikipedia that half of us will have psychiatric problems requiring medication in our lifetimes and i mean it just goes on and on and on and it's such an over treatment that it's it's unbelievable their drugs you you guys know all about the ssris like prozac i'm sure well those things were discovered to create violence and suicide in a consequential percentage of, of their uh, of their uh, consumers in the first studies, but it was all hidden by Lily, and it was later discovered in discovery in, in the courtroom. And Lily has been settling these cases, and the other companies have been settling these cases, many, many millions, more, 50 million plus in, in settlements and, uh, you know, confidential uh, settlements since since all this was uh, has, has come out. And, uh, I mean, it's certainly one theory that our um, mass murderers in our society have all been on psych medications and whether this is because a uh, cause or not, I mean, who knows, but they certainly do cause violent behavior. And they cause suicidal behavior. The second class of drugs that's commonly used, these things are almost passed out like jelly beans are called atypical antipsychotics. Uh, Zyprexa is, I think it was the first one of these. It was the best selling drug for a while. And, the psychiatrists, with the help of industry, have morphed their standards into giving these for, I mean, I mean, they, they give them out very casually. I mean, I hate to say exact. They, they give them out for depressions to, uh, to supposedly add uh, value or augment the, uh, the uh, SSRI antidepressants. And these drugs, they cut lifespan by 10 to 20 years. That's not controversial. They cut lifespan by 10 to 20 years. So it, it's crazy. We... The only good controls, we don't have sugar pill controls, but the only controls we have are comparisons with third world countries where they can't afford all this garbage. Their outcomes are better. They have less recurrence of psychiatric diseases and they, they the long-term outcomes are, are, are better. We have another class called uh, benzos, right? Which includes Xanax. You know all about that. These are highly addictive. This is probably the most benign class of the, of the bunch. Xanax studies, the original studies, the stuff worked for two weeks or four weeks or something. Then it it was even or it didn't work much for the next three weeks. And then over the last several weeks of the study, it was much worse than the patients were much worse than they were at the beginning. Uh, and the doses had to be escalated and so on. So this, I mean, it's a horrible drug. It's it's very short acting. Um, you get a, a little bit of relief from your depression or from your anxiety for a sh very short period. You get a rebound anxiety and it doesn't work after a month or six weeks or something like this. And that was known from the very start, yet they approved, the FDA approved it. The FDA who, which is two thirds, roughly two thirds, run by pharmaceutical company user fees. 
So you get the idea. It's one big conflict of interest all the way around. And the only thing doctors do to, uh, to relieve these in, in other fields, let me back up for one second, law and government, people have to recuse themselves or take themselves off. They have to get rid of assets that they, they have that where the, you know, the judge would have to um, uh, make a decision that has to do with, well, this doesn't happen in medicine. We just have to disclose the conflicts, which is not enough. You know, these guys writing these papers, they disclose that they received, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year for the last five years from a pharmaceutical company. That's the only, so they write the papers, the papers sound credible. And, you guys and patients and doctors should know to look at the end of the paper to see what their conflict is, conflicts of interest are. And those mean that the paper is not credible. If they have a conflict of interest, they're paid by the pharmaceutical company. It doesn't mean a thing. If, and the, the anyway, I, I'll make one other point. And that is a lot of things in medicine have achieved credibility using large numbers of patients and small differences. In other words, they got these huge studies and a few patients are more on one side than the other, and they claim it's statistically significant. Well, whenever you see large numbers and small differences, you can just dismiss the whole whole effort because good, good science would mean that there's there's a, a, a difference that you could see and would be reproducible. Mo many of the things that we, we think are are, uh, are consequential in medicine just aren't reproducible. It wouldn't happen again if you took another 10,000 patients and did the whole thing again. No matter what, no matter what the mathematicians claim, the mathematicians who are on the payroll of the, of the pharmaceutical company. So, I mean, it's, it's a crazy, crazy scene. Sorry it about is. the rant. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And there was a book, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this book. It's about um, research and why women aren't used in a lot of the research studies. Are you familiar with that book? No. You know, call the title. Um, but it's because, you know, there's a lot of variabilities, especially with women who are, you know, hormonal and there's just too many variables. And it's really difficult unless a person lives in a bubble to have a long term study that is accurate with with human beings and not with rats. <laughs> it's really yeah, difficult. Yeah. You can't follow humans until half of them die. Rats, it's easy. <laughs> You know, yeah. that's, that's why we, we try not to make the claim that hormone therapy prolongs life because we can't, we can't really prove that, you know, it's, it's tough. Well, yeah. if you guys don't mind, I'm going to make a 10 second pitch for my other book. Would that be all right? Of course. Okay. So my other book is about bioidentical hormones. It's called Hormone Secrets. It's on Amazon as well. And it's got a bunch of five-star reviews also. And so just to give you a 10 seconds on this thing. Imagine there was a, a field that was the most expensive uh, field in medicine, which is Alzheimer's, probably, if you include the care costs, that was almost prevent entirely, it could, is almost entirely preventable with a bioidentical hormone that's inexpensive, and you don't have to spend all this money on these uh, 10 drugs that cost $1,000 a month and don't work, right? Even the researchers say they don't work, the Alzheimer's drugs. So Alzheimer's in women is preventable if they take estradiol, which is bioidentical estrogen, from the time they hit menopause, which is 45 to 55. So it's and it's such a, a important thing, and it's so poorly known that I stuck in an appendix with 75 references in my hormone book in order to um, make that clear that that there was good science supporting the use of estradiol to prevent. You know, of course, hormones have many other, many, many other positive. Uh, uh, values, but 
just that one factoid is so stunning. It should interest all your listeners in learning more about hormones. Mm -hmm. And thank you for, for sharing that. We definitely want to have you back here on the show and talk way more about hormone. Uh, it's such an important topic. And like you said, it's very not, not, not so much common knowledge. People don't know about the benefits and they don't know what they should be doing. And it's hard to know what they should be doing when it's not common knowledge, even for medi many medical providers. It's been suppressed because it's not a moneymaker. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's not of interest. And going back to what you were sh uh, sharing about the medications, and especially psychiatric medications, I just want to remind the, the, the viewers and the listeners that a lot of the medications, if not most of the medications that we have out there are only band-aids. So they're only treating a symptom. They're not treating or uh, or getting rid of the problem. They're only, it, it's kind of like a band-aid. If you have a cut and you put a band-aid, the band-aid is not going to cure the cut. The cut cures itself because you are, you have that, that healing ability within you. It's all about mindset. It's all about lifestyle. It's all about what made the problem come through in the first place. Why did you get that, you know, that depression, depression, anxiety, or what's going on within you? And when you take a medication, you're not only putting that band-aid, which is not healing, it's just putting a band-aid into the problem, but you're also dealing with the side effects. And that's one of the things that I, I I dealt with when I was taking psychiatric medications as well was how many side effects did I get from just one medication alone and how many other medications I was taking only to combat those side effects. So when you're talking about people in nursing homes that are taking 20 medications, they probably maybe don't need any at all. And if they do need maybe two of them, and then the rest are literally combating side effects from the other medications that they're already taking. So it's literally like a spider wave. You start with one and then you start adding more and more and more just because you took that original medication. We have no medication studies in combination. They're all studied as single agents. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And I mean, they're addictive band-aids that don't, I mean, they're arguably, they do not treat the psychiatric medications do not. And the last thing, of course, is that you, it's your guy's job to bring it, it, the awareness to your patients and your people you counsel that pain is part of life and it's telling you something. And if you if you can cover it up, you may not get to change the way you're supposed to change. So you, you've got you to live through your pain. And that's the most important task you have in your life is to figure out what, what you should do. And you're, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to figure it out if you, if you don't have any pain or discomfort. That's right. Or anything else. If your body's breaking down for whatever reason, if you have high cholesterol, if you're, if you have high blood pressure, if you have elevated glucose levels, your body's telling you something is communicating something to you. You're doing something that is creating that. So what is it that you're doing and what is it, what is it that you actually do need to change? And the solution is not outside of you. The solution is that adding all kinds of medications that are disrupting all kinds of systems in your body. So thank you for that, uh, Robert. I think it's it's very important because a lot of people think I'm gonna take the medication and it's gonna heal me and I'm gonna be okay. But you're not thinking about <laughs> you're not thinking about healing yourself if you're taking a medication. Although that's the common belief, you're not healing. You're, you're you don't say I'm gonna take the diabetes medication and I'm gonna heal from diabetes. That doesn't happen. So so you guys know where that um, uh, chemical imbalance in the brain and Prozac came from. That, come, that came from a marketing department of Smith, Klein and French in the, the 60s or the 70s, whenever. It was, it, came, it was invented by a marketer. It has no basis in science. And it's just, it's laughed at by the researchers, the chemical imbalance in the brain. We've all heard that. It's gotten into the common parlance. And once a bell is rung, it never gets unrung. 
I mean, it's it's outrageous. Is we've allowed these these people into our thoughts and our our homes. So, in conclusion, a couple things, and and I know there's never one thing that a person can do, but a couple different things that people can do, strategies, um, maybe somewhere where you can even try to get reliable sources. I know you mentioned Wikipedia, and I was looking through. Uh, I believe it was gosh. Was the name of it? Um, I even went to worstpills.org, but even some of the that's a good source. That's a good source. Some that's, of the information uh, that's Ralph is- Nader's group. Okay, yeah, that's very good. That that is totally reliable, as far as I can tell. Now that that is a paywall. There's a paywall, and it's worth paying for. Okay, so I saw some information. Some made sense. Maybe some didn't. And once again, I try to look at things from. Uh, I try to be neutral about it. It's like okay, well, you know, from a medical perspective, from preventive perspective. However, I specialize more in preventive, but, um, you know, other reliable sources that, that our, our listeners can go to. You know, all this information that I've spoken of is essentially lying on the street for examination, but there are propagandistic counter a wall of propaganda is what we're facing so i mean you can go to my book see if it's credible you can click through the links on the ebook it's very easy there are 500 references um and there are some key references in there the hormone the thyroid um the reference it really is great is that uh what is it anyway i'm blocking on it but there there are there are some very good references that counter these uh industry narratives Mm-hmm. So where can people find you, learn more about you, what you're doing? How can people access your books? Um, just any anything that you can, how, how can people find out more about what you're doing? Okay, so I'm not smart about social media. I don't have a Twitter. I don't have a Facebook, you know. I'm 67, you know, give me a break. But I've got a website that I made myself, robertyohoauthor.com. And through that, you can access, you can listen to the first half of my audio book uh, through a podcast that I, I put up. And you can you can also download the first half of my book and see if you want to want to get the whole thing. Um, and my books are available on uh, all these platforms. You can get them as a hardcover on several platforms. It's not just Amazon, but Amazon's got all the reviews and all that stuff. So thank you. Thank you, thank you for that. And you don't know what you don't know. So this is a good way to get to start to get informed, to open up your eyes, to open up your awareness to the possibility that what you've been told all your life and what you've believed all your life may not be true. So thank you for for actually being a voice of of um, information for people. Because stop, stop the thyroid. Stop the thyroid insanity was uh, the name is the website. It, it, you can get to it. it. That's close. Anyway, sorry. I, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Stop the no, thyroid no, no. insanity. Stop the thyroid insanity.com. I think that's it. Or stop the thyroid madness. My madness. Baby. That's it. That's yeah. it. That's yeah, yeah. really a great source. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Good. I, I could tell you understood it all, Linda. What, yeah. From talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. It has been such an amazing, informative uh, interview. I really enjoyed having you on and I'm looking forward to having you on again to talk about hormones. Yes. Um, So we will set that up for our viewers. Thank you, everyone who listened today and really for for being here, for taking time of your day to to get informed, to maybe 
think about different possibilities and inform yourself in different ways that you can take care of yourself and you can become a better version of yourself. This is a great podcast, Linda and Fernanda. You guys are, you're a nice combination and I, I appreciate your hospitality. Thank you again. Thank, Thank you so you. much. We appreciate it. All right. We'll see y'all next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.